Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Yohai Gall. Here with my co-host, Logar the Barbarian. Hello, I'm Logar the Barbarian. Well, I, I, just, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, redundant. Yes, yes. I guess it is. I think if I um, had such a cool handle, I would probably introduce myself. Like when I walk into rooms, you know, like Logar enters the room, you know, something like that. You know, if I if I if I just went by my name, I, I, by, by my like legal name, nobody I don't would think Google you. Would be interested. Yeah, no, it's they true. Remember, it's like what's his name? It's true. <laughs> I well, I used to, I used to, I could, I remember, I when I couldn't remember it, I would think Logan the Barbarian, Logal, Logar sounds great, but I remembered the Barbarian part, but the Conan thing would influence it, anyways. I accidentally, I was trying to record, I accidentally called myself Conan a couple times. I think I put it out. Like, Conan, because Logar, the character that it's named after, is a generic Conan. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Sumerian. <laughs> By the way, the Tower of the Elephant, incredible, incredible short story. One of my favorites. Oh, I like so that good. one. It is cool. so good. It's I want so to good. see that on, like, like even, like, a 45-minute, oh, like, TV no. short. You know what I want? I'll tell you what I want. I want... Uh, you know, one of those um, rotoscope animated films to be made just of that. I would no, definitely want. Like there was one that was made recently. I can't remember the name of it, but I know um, the one you're talking about. I know Fires. John was really all about. It. I haven't. Yeah, seen yeah, it. yeah. It's it's. I, I haven't either. I just watched the trailer and I, and I thought, wow, this is this is pretty metal. <laughs> but it's like um, it's like those old '80s fantasy cartoons, well, like Fire yeah. and Ice and stuff like right, that. Right. It's like Fire and Ice. Yeah. <laughs> or or you know or mm. it's sort of like. Um, uh, Ralph Bakshi, or it's sort of like uh, uh, Rankin Bass, who I oh, yeah. adore. Adore. I like and, that yeah, I want that. Please, who, bring it back. I want. <laughs> I want those back. Anywho, um, we are here to talk about the New School Revolution, or New School Revival, or New School, whatever you want to call it. Is that right? Yeah. So, what is the? I think it's pronounced. I think we usually just use NSR. Correct. Right. I, I guess I'm. I'm only prone to saying revolution <laughs> because that's the domain name that I bought on a whim excellent um, yeah I like, I, I like revolution I like well that, that, that i was attracted to that term as well for reasons that i think are fairly obvious to you but um so so in short the nsr is kind of a community slash play style slash design philosophy that has um erupted largely from the old school revival or renaissance the osr whatever you want to call that it's somewhat ill-defined because as usual labels are semi-useful constructs that may or may not be <laughs> helpful to people but to uh, the purposes of this discussion I would describe the NSR at present as being a community of designers and role players who are focused around a few specific patterns within the uh, indie RPG space. So um, those patterns or those, uh, I'm trying to think of another word other than pattern, those uh, <laughs> kinds, those so kinds of uh, details that make well, the let's game. Let's talk about the OSR yeah. for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Because so, the OSR <laughs> leads into the NSR, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. yes. Like, in, many, in many ways, although I would say it's not exclusive. Um, for instance, I, I I mean, I came out of the OSR, but I was in the indie sort of story games world before that. And that's that's the case for a lot of people who are in what you'd call the NSR space today. And in fact, there are some people that have just exclusively come out of the PBTA and indie 
indie story games kind of world and had didn't even touch the OSR uh, on their way to the NSR. So it, it is definitely, I think, an extension of what you might call the OSR, but let's, let's take a step back as you suggested. So the OSR, this has been de- debated endlessly and will be debated, debated endlessly. It's like, uh, you know, it's what happens after you die. We'll be talking about <laughs> what is the OSR and what that means um, forever. But in general, the OSR is a combination of a marketing ploy uh, rule set compatibility system and uh, do-it-yourself indie RPG movement centered around an old style way of playing, whether it's based out of nostalgia or truth, I can't answer, but there is this fundamental concept in the OSR known as um, rulings, not rules, and combat as uh, war, not as sport, and uh, generally high lethality with the focus on problem solving. Those are elements of the OSR that I think make it fairly easy to define, at least within the context of this conversation. So um, the NSR did sprung, spring, spring, did come from the OSR. Yeah, it sprang sprang from the OSR as a sort of um, rejection of some of the more gatekeepy and dogmatic aspects of the that play space. I can give you a few specific and concrete examples about this um, that I have personally experienced. When I would, for example, go to OSR spaces, whether it's G plus or for a while on MeWe or on Discord, and I would, for example, talk about collaborative world building, okay? Which is something yeah. that's very common to the indie RPG story games world. Like, yes. Collaborative world building is big, 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 big part of storytelling in the indie RPG space that isn't OSR. Um, <laughs> I would frequently be met with a kind of, well, you know, that's just not the way it's done. There has to be a consistent world where the you know, the GM or the referee is the arbiter and adjudicator of all things. And here's the reason why. And some people would be really nice about it. And some people would be complete jerks about it. And that's all cool. That's fine. You know, they were trying to maintain uh, a specific style of play. And they felt that that was perhaps not within <laughs> uh, that. Here's what I don't, I don't get is, uh, is how people get I, I, I'm not trying. I'm trying to try think of the best way to pr- phrase this. People can get like mean over games. They like, can, like, yes. like, like, dude, it's a game. Like, light yeah. up, Francis. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> I, and actually, that that's really important. I think for two reasons. One, although there's no specific principle built into the NSR that says you should be nice within the community that is the NSR, and the NSR to me is more of a community than anything else. Um, there is an implicit. Whatever game you want to play is totally fine. There is that kind of mentality. And you'll see it like in our um, rules on the NSR Discord or on our online forum, which is called The Cauldron. We explicitly state whatever game someone wants to play is totally fine. Um, I actually think, what is it? Our tagline is, the best game is the game you like to play. You know, so yeah. that's that, that's kind of our ent- mentality, even though we are very OSR driven. Uh, there's this sense of hey whatever you're bringing whatever you want to do like it may not be best facilitated by nsr style play but we're definitely here to be supportive and not outright gatekeepy of whatever you're bringing um, and i and and you know to be fair the osr as toxic as people have claimed i actually think has elements that are extremely supportive and kind and forward thinking and 
I really appreciate a lot of the, the thinking there. And I also am so impressed with how many of these like supposed OSR seal holders, these people who are like hugely influential will just go and do something else. I mean, Emmy Allen made all these OSR games and then went and made a PBTA game, you know, or, or like um, Chris McDowell will make into the odd and was the owner of the OSR discord server, which is probably the biggest discord server I've ever been on. And um, he will go he, and he'll be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go read Wander Home now and talk about that. You know, he, it's just, I, I feel like th- that mentality that was very prevalent in the OSR, especially in the kind of more right-leaning spaces, is not really true. And a lot of people, especially those who are the most, I think, doing the most interesting work, are very much able to live in multiple worlds and don't, you know, I, I don't want to make any blanket statements about the OSR and what it's like, just about certain spaces, my own experiences there. But the reason the NSR kind of sp- sprang from the OSR and needed to be a thing was because there were a number of people like myself who preferred certain aspects of the OSR in their play, but then also wanted to pull from other areas like the indie uh, story games movement or PBTA or whatever. Um, And in fact, the term NSR, at least the first time I heard it, I had heard things like post OSR and new OSR, but the term NSR, as far as I can tell, originally came from a post by um, Pandatheist, who is on Twitter and also has a blog called um, Bonebox Chant on, I think it was, I wrote it down here on December 21st, 2019. <laughs> um, they published a entry called New School Revolution. That was the first time I'd seen it written that way. Um, and they described a number of common tropes to NSR games. And I'll, I'll read them off just because I think this is important to know. Here, I'll go to the original. Here's the original post. NSR games have a GM, a weird setting, a living world, and there are descriptions of this after. They are rules light, deadly, and focus on emergent narrative, external interaction, and exploration. Now, some of those buzzwords are like, what does that mean? What's external interaction? And <laughs> and I can explain uh, because I didn't know what that meant either. But eventually, after some prodding, Pandatheist did explain it, and I can go into that. But the 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 I'm not even sure necessarily that like the deadly aspect is true, although it, it is a, there is a tendency towards it. Um, and I'm not sure that a weird setting is true, although there's a tendency towards that as well. What I do agree with is this focus on exploration, uh, emergent narrative, rules light, having a GM. That's pretty consistent. And um, NSR games, I mean, they run the gamut. They can be uh, Into the Odd is considered an NSR game, even though I don't know that Chris necessarily considers it that, Chris McDowell, the author. Although in his own words, it's <laughs> the Into the Odd is only about 60% OSR is what, he, <laughs> is, what, is what he rated himself. He doesn't consider his own game deadly, by the way. Other people do, but he does not. Because if you're providing good information, the players should always be able to find a nonviolent solution or most of the time be able to. So he doesn't consider it deadly. But I think that, I, I don't know if I want to get on it now, but I, I have... I have thoughts on the deadly aspect that I like to go on about. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. Um, I would, so I can tell you my preference in terms yeah. of games um, is definitely rules light. And that can mean a lot of things. Rules light can mean different things to different people, but generally speaking, it means that the rules fit on, you know, a couple pieces of paper, maybe, as opposed to a 300 page Wizards of the Coast <laughs> player's well, handbook. I mean, Paizo has like a 600 page core. Right. Well, they're, they, 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 they have four. Beautiful. Paizo's, the Pathfinder, 
their character sheet for Pathfinder 2E is four pages double-sided. Yeah, that's and, a lot for me. And that's that the rules to Into the Odd could fit on a quarter of one of those pages. So that's that just to give you a, like an idea of like the, dis, the kind of range. Typically, quote-unquote, rules-like games just mean that the actual mechanics are more... Uh, they're not free-form necessarily, but there's, there's probably not going to be grappling rules. You know, there's probably not going to be um, nuanced combat. Go ahead. Well, we were playing back in the day, like the 80s and 90s. Like our rule sets, the books that we were using wasn't necessarily the game we were playing. We For house sure. ruled sure. so much. Of the well, game. yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, the older editions of D&D would probably be considered very rules like. And then VX is not that. It has a lot of procedures, but. Well, I was playing. Honestly, I played a lot of like. Fossa, Palladium, Steve Jackson. More I mean, so I, than, I would put Palladium SR. as a, <laughs> yeah, I, I would put, I started with Palladium uh, Fantasy 2nd Edition in the late 90s. And um, I would today consider them not rules light, certainly. But that said... Um, and, but it's the way you run it sometimes. Oh, like, I run sure. Palladium. I for run sure. Rifts on Saturday and every other Saturday nights. And I keep it from being convoluted. Right, right. Well, so I mean, ultimately, the question is like, do those mechanics, if you took them at face value, are they considered cr- crunchy or not? And yeah, um, you know, the majority of the games that I consider NSR, whatever you want to say, which is I consider many rules like OSR games NSR, even if the authors don't, um, those games tend to be smaller. The booklets that they make, they tend to be zine format, which is already telling you what they are. Yeah, and I prefer that a lot of times. Like, I really love that. Like, I'm a huge fan of that. I like the simplicity of it. I, I I don't like to read 600 pages to try to figure out how to do something. I well, sure. Simple. Although there is, you know, Electric Bachelorland is gorgeous. And oh, it's gorgeous. Huge. The rules themselves fit on a summary page, about one page, but the the other the rest of the book is advice and content and background so like you can still pad stuff out in i think useful ways but in terms of the actual mechanics specifically they're just there's not a lot of them there's not a lot of rules that's all so that that's an i think an easy one to kind of say okay they, they tend to have rules like mechanics i think that there's two this can go two ways that i've seen in play at this point, running a rules light system people have gotten in running a system that's more slow so let's talk about I'm going to divide D&D and I'm going to focus just on D&D for a minute. You have, and I'm going to say there's pre-2000s D&D, like the old rule set that is descending armor class. And it's got a whole set of mechanics that tends to be, it tends to run through those editions. And then you have post-2000 starting at third edition where they have this DC check or DL, or what, isn't that what's called DC check where you roll high? And everything's uniform in that way. Does yeah, that I mean, so, so yeah, I think the split was three point five. As I would actually, I would put this. I would put three point five as being. I mean, yes, third edition definitely changed things, but three point five is really where I think there was this like kind of mental split in the community. Partly, probably because of the introduction of the OGL. I don't know, but go ahead. So go ahead. we have the early, and then we have the later. There's sure. two. They're, yeah. they're almost like two different mechanical. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, I mean, especially fourth edition. <laughs> Yeah, so went off. So that later one, like especially with third edition, started getting very, very um, complicated and crunchy. And when those were going on, like three point five, I I just was still playing A, B, and D for a while. What drew me into like OSR stuff, I I was not involved at all socially online or anywhere else with game stuff outside of my game group. 
So when I would discover things like uh, OSR and retro clones, I'd be picking them up. But I had no idea of the wider world for a long time that was happening in game. So what I was trying to do in game, like house ruling AD and D left and right for my game <laughs> and trying to, you know what I'm saying? Like this led me into something else. Would you say that you house ruled less with later editions? Oh my goodness. I, uh, here's what I'll say. I had a rough time house ruling with later editions because whenever you tried to do something to simplify it, it broke the system. That's one of the reasons I got frustrated with it. Yeah, I mean, well, that's... The- <laughs> Like the business was, of writing rules, you're gonna make more rules. So yeah, it's like AD and D and AD and D second edition. It's really easy for me to just leave stuff out because there's not like one of the things that is the bane of my existence in running it was things like feats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not the only one. Yeah, I mean, well, and that's all. Yeah, this again, probably a huge division there. I, I don't. I think I think the idea of rules light very much is in the eye of the beholder. Um, but I think on principle it can just mean the ability to work with a loose framework to achieve yeah. the kinds of play you want you know that's where i was going with this it just hit my head so i i've run those and i've seen that since those more complicated systems have come up when when people approach these rules light games they start looking for the more complicated elements of those other games and they say oh, well, where's they, my perception check where's my right like, you mean because they're used to it yeah, yes. used to that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it that rules inform the style of play, and so if you're coming, it's it's actually funny. I once watched Matt Mercer run a game for Stephen Colbert for a charity, and Colbert is this old school RP. He hasn't played D anD D in 20, 30 years, but he was playing like I don't know, second edition or something in high school or college. <laughs> and the way he and he he sat there and he was he he would ask things like. Like he, it was so clear that he was used to a highly lethal game because he was so terrified of whatever was behind the door that Matt Mercer was describing. By the way, it's a terrific, it's just great to watch them. Um, uh, I'm not even a huge, you know, fan of Matt Mercer and all those guys. I just really enjoy watching Colbert re-experience D&D for the first time in 30 years. But you can see this like old style play interacting with a fifth edition GM. And it was just it's quite interesting that you bring your assumptions, even after decades, you bring those back to the table. And sometimes you have to unlearn those. In fact, some of my favorite people to introduce games to are people who've never played an RPG because they're not you know, oh. held down by these habits. Oh, so many of my, I, I have a lot of players whose first time playing role-playing games have been in my campaigns because I, oh, I tend to ask people who don't really right. play that have right. expressed right. interest. Yeah. And I build groups yeah. out of that. Yeah, ditto. ditto. I, although mine don't even ask, express interest. I just kind of try to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I, there's definitely a few where I'm like, hey, have you ever played d yeah. I'll like set it up. I'm, I'll be like, so you know what this reminds me of? Um, so, so okay. So like moving on from Rules Light, this notion of having a living world, that's a pretty classic OSR concept where essentially things are happening whether the PCs interact with them or not if the pcs don't do something the town will still set on fire you know it's not everything is about them and i think that's a huge divergence from um what i believe uh, you guys actually just talked about this in that um retired adventurer post about the styles of different styles of play oh yeah the six the, uh six styles of play. right six styles of play, right but the, the oc which is essentially where like many fifth edition players and especially live streamer types the idea is that the characters are the world 
the world does not do things the characters do and that's a very particular style of play in um a living world which i was first introduced to this concept by ben milton questing beast he would talk about how the world doesn't care about the pcs it's doing its own thing the pcs are in it and act as you know their own agents but they don't have their it's not about them you know and that's that's a big divergence as well from some of the story games that like i used to play dungeon world very extensively and that's just not the way it is. In Dungeon World, be a fan of the characters. That's it's one of the fundamental uh, principles of the game. And, and so you'd have these players who, if they die, it's much more consequential to the world and the story. So you, as a GM, kind of avoid that happening. And I, and I think that ties in directly to this concept of being deadly that Pandathias brought up in um, their original post. Because if characters aren't afraid to die they'll just run face first into a sport yeah. combat like situation. And that's I, my I, thing. Right. Right. So that's here's the thing, point. right? Like, like, like I'm not a big combat person. I like combat occasionally to spice things up, change it up, but I'm not, it takes a lot of time. It takes more time than, than I normally like to spend on it. Now, when characters are only killing things is the solution. That's not good. So if killing things has repercussions, like it does in reality, like you could a die or they could come back you know, someone who knew yeah. them could come back. So and deadly games keep yeah. like, 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 like killing isn't the solution 90% right. of the time. Well, and more importantly, it lends itself to problem solving in an yes. interesting manner. And I think, I think this really comes not to get all philosophical, but <laughs> um, my like theory of play, like the theory I, I, when I, when I play games, like what I figured out that I like essentially is, problem solving and i yeah. think i think inherently storytelling itself is problem solving you know if I, if i if i tell you well uh this morning i woke up and then i i drove to work and then i i worked all day and then i came home that is a boring story okay <laughs> that's a boring story it's not interesting unless there was a problem to solve or something unusual happened and i had to figure out how to deal with it uh, so to me problem solving and storytelling are intertwined so the kinds of stories that i like to play are the kinds that have critical thinking and uh, problem solving at their core. And I think this isn't the only way to ensure that that happens, but making combat and the world itself a scary place is how you create the that play style. It's how you create an environment that is conducive to that kind of play style. So, yeah, so you, I think it's if important. If you can kill everything with two whacks because you're a super powered creature... Right. There isn't much problem solving right. you're doing. You're or just... on the flip side, if you can do it and there are and you have three things that can happen to stop you from dying, you're going to more like I mean, Dungeon World has really fun combat because it's very cinematic. But the reality is there are you have a character who has 10 times the hit points in, you know, uh, Cairn or into the otter or something. And then they have a special ability that they can pull out before they die. And then there's another rule to see if they even die. And then even if they're supposed to die, there's other stuff that prevents it. Like all these stop gaps to get to death, they don't allow for the kind of play that I prefer. So um, I do think that as much as like, they don't, the game doesn't have to be deadly. I think that's one of the ways that you then allow for the kind of problem solving that uh, these kinds of games tend to center around. Well, I think that saying that when I say that it's a deadly game, I think that the point is that not that the game is deadly itself. Like you're going to definitely die. Yeah. It's just Violence I'm saying that it's going to mirror like certain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. There's consequences yeah. to your yeah. actions. Right. And I, I those con those decisions that would lead to that, then 
that's what's going to happen. Right. And I think, I think you can enforce that mechanically or through the setting. I, I again, I, I think there's a misnomer of what is lethality in games. And, and as Chris McDowell would say, if you put out a system that um, makes combat deadly, but doesn't then provide the GM with guidelines and advice to how to help players not get their characters killed, uh, th- then the game won't be fun for some people. Nobody likes the kind of DCC style. I stepped on a bomb and then lost my leg. And <laughs> I know I did a lot of that on Friday nights getting ourselves killed. <laughs> right. But I'm saying, I'm saying that you, unless you're in for that, you know, unless that's like, Hey, I want to be in a, I want to, I'd like, you know, the whole idea of a funnel is great. If you have the interest in, if, if part of why you're playing is to see your character die or potentially die. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, and I understand that, but I think a lot of people like to run games where you are given the information that you need to make the best possible decision. If you don't, then that's fine. One thing I forgot to point out, by the way, is beyond those GM weird setting, living world world rules, like yada, yada. There's this other paragraph here that I think is important to read inclusive, no purity tests, no rules requirements, no us versus them, just a brief list of stuff to find of stuff to help find games that match your taste. Um, Think of this as a series of Venn diagrams. The more you hit, the more people will agree with your categorization. So what's the point of this? Games like Mothership, World of Dungeons, Troika, and Into the Odd have almost nothing in common if you just look at the mechanics. But drop someone who enjoys any one of these into a game of the other, and they'll probably have a good time. The games all share a perspective. The term NSR is useful in that it describes the style of play. If I like game X, I will probably like game Y. Or I don't love game X as written, but I can run it in an NSR style. And that's kind of what we've been talking about is that it really is more of a style of play, which the OSR shares a similar, you know, movement. They have a, if you go and look at uh, David Perry's Lithiascape blog and specifically look at the uh, thing he and uh, Evelyn Monroe and um, Ben Milton put out, Principia Apocrypha, which is like the, manifesto of osr play which is fabulous actually i have it i have it right behind me but but if you go and look at that that there are people who use it as a kind of bible to play osr games and i and i think that's legit i think that's i think that's i think that um there is a way of playing games in an osr style that is separate from rules and mechanics and marketing i think i think there is i think they legitimately have a claim to that it also means other things but i think there is an osr style of play and i think the nsr is a subset of that it's games that utilize a largely osr play style but then maybe bring into it a focus on a few more things like emergent narrative and being weird it's a pretty common one as well although i don't know how true it is and then finally i think it's just the fact that it takes influences from other places i think i think it's not just what did people do quote unquote in the old days what i was doing when I was playing like AD&D is I was actively looking for new ideas and new things and trying new things. I wasn't trying to go back necessarily. I did go back. It's like I said before, as an artist, when I draw, I like to go back to the found- fundamentals and do like your your basic practice, your upside down Picassos, your spheres and stuff and shading them out. And you go back to the basics. And every time you go back to the basics, you can pull something new out of there. That's kind of the way I see it. The, the most innovative stuff started coming from the OSR in a lot of ways. P- 
people had little hacks. All of our house rules and stuff made it into their own games and kind of evolved and became its own thing. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what happens, right? Things start as hacks or house rules. And 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 I think that that indie spirit is a huge part of the OSR. And I think it is a, a, similarly a big deal in the NSR. I, a lot, I think we have a high percentage of designers versus players in the spaces that we occupy. Um, I do think that there is this, there, you know, there's this, there's this three other bullets. One is exploration, which I don't think I need to explain, but the the emergent narrative and external interaction. Emergent narrative is, is I think, not implicit in OSR play. I think a lot of OSR play lends itself to it. It is very much baked into a lot of powered by the apocalypse and story game styles of play. Like my experience in Dungeon World, what I loved was having the narrative come out of you know, a no prep or, ze- or very low prep environment where the players were adding to the world, not necessarily crossing the line of saying what's in the chest, but instead I might say, hey, so your character is of this specific species that's super familiar with this area. What do they know about this? What would we know? I'm not saying you have to do that, but that would be totally acceptable in an NSR game. I think in the OSR, there are those who would think it's really cool. Um, in fact, I, I've recently had a conversation with someone who's pretty, quote unquote, big in the OSR and very much does that at his own table. But I think with respect to um, the NSR and what makes it unique, the idea that you can collaborate with your players on building the world is something that um, was less common in the spaces I was I was playing around in, in the OSR. Additionally, this whole like, you know, don't prep situations or don't, don't prep plop plot prep situations like what you see on the Alexandrian and such that did make its way from the OSR. And I think does supplement a lot of NSR style play where you kind of just build the narrative from interactions with the players. And there is a focus on that. I'm not saying the OSR doesn't, the OSR does focus on that stuff, but not exclusively. And I think the NSR really does like to gather around it. And then finally, the, the bit about external interaction, we did get a little explanation of it probably a year later. Essentially, it was like the way in which you interact with a scene was... Um, uh, here, actually, I'm, I'll just... I'll, all I want to do is look up Pandatheist's response to it because I found it very interesting. Um, but while I do that... You, I, you're going to have to you're gonna have to shoot me some links to this. I will. Put I the will. show notes for everyone I will. to check can, <laughs> can you... Can you um, I'm curious, what do you think about this emergent narrative idea in your experience? Like, is that something that isn't really specific to NSR in your opinion or? Um, so like when we're talking emergent narrative, we're talking about you haven't prepped as much in your character. The players are kind of adding to the narrative and stuff like that. Correct. Uh, in some cases. Yes. Sometimes it's just that you just, things just happen like almost like at a fractally. You know? Yeah. Like I, it's a way I, like in a way, the way I DM, I have when I go to DM, and this is before I before I ever discovered the NSR or even the OSR. The things that are important to me is that when I go in, I I know a few NPCs, a few things that could happen. I may have an idea, but a lot of the times I'm reacting, knowing what this world is, and a lot of it's on the fly. <laughs> a lot of my better adventures were like, well, it's completely derailed. I still have these pieces I can throw in there when they come up, but I don't know where this is going right now. I'm going to have to see where the players take me in this. Sure. That qualifies. Yeah. That's kind of the way that I've DM for many years. Right. I make sure I know a few things 
and they take it from there and it it can it gets derailed in two seconds so i'm not trying to be like okay you have to do this that's that i can't do that <laughs> i and i played in those games where it was like i have to follow the trajectory of the story and uh, for many years and i started getting a little frustrated and agitated like like okay i can't do nothing <laughs> So, so, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think I, I, it is kind of a, I think it's a, it's a learned, it's very much a skill that you have to just develop. I, one thing I will attribute to my time in the story game space is that they really facilitate that kind of play. And I, I, I'm, for example, I, I actually had to learn to prep because I was so used to improv. I mean, I, I wrote this game called one shot world, which is um, a hack of dungeon world to be used for one shots you know with conventions or with you know strangers and i ran like 200 games of one shot world when i was developing it and would build a world with the players each game so we had a unique world we would build together in a map and then we would play and i did this hundreds of times and it really got me used to engaging with a emergent narrative in the way that's described here. But, and I think for some people that's crazy. Like they, they, they oh, I don't have my prep. I don't know what I'll do without my prep. And to me, it's like, no, I actually have to force myself to use the prep, you know? <laughs> See, I, I, I border somewhere. I feel in between that. Cause I do a bit of prep. And I, like one of the things I do for prep is I will find books of names, just write down a bunch of random names of different gendered names and stuff. So that when people come in and go, what's his name? I go, Oh, it's, <laughs> And then pull a name out of the list I've made, you know? So there is some prep, even if I'm winging it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's always been the case. I think people do both. I think there are some people who, because of the systems that they're accustomed to, they're more used to looking at the book, what's in the book, the answers in the book. And I, um, I think OSR, those has done a really good job of helping people break away from that. I think the indie RPG space has done like the story game space has done a really good job of improv jamming. Um, and I think the NSR sits somewhere kind of in between to get back to the last part about external interactions, the last label, I would say um, I went to the original Pantheist explanation about it. And I'll just read it quickly is external interactions is basically if you're in a um, imagine you, there's a, a bunch of players exploring a scene. It's like a, a room. It's in a, whatever. It's a room in an old um, abandoned house. And they see something gleaming in the fireplace as they lift their torch, but then it disappears. Uh, the way that they as player characters interact with the mystery of the room or whatever they're investigating, that's what describes an external interaction. So in a 5e game, they would roll a perception check. That's what they would do, they would roll a perception check. What do I notice? Uh, and by the way, in something like Dungeon World, they would also, they would do, you know, uh, discern realities or something. But in an OSR game, they would talk about prodding at the fireplace with a stick and they would do little tiny kind of interactions with it. Now, of course, the answer is, is really somewhere in between. Probably people in 5e might do that. People in OSR might decide, to, depending on the system, to, to do some kind of perception check. But they would interact with the fiction until the GM told them, okay, you hit a boundary. Now we got to use mechanics. Like You've done as much as you can. Now it's time to roll dice. In the NSR, it would just happen. You wouldn't roll the dice. They would get to the point of poking at the thing with a stick and seeing it shine. You would explain what the dangers are if they continue and then you would just make it happen you would 
you'd give the players the answers or the results that that they were after, not through any neat mechanics, but just because that's what the fiction entails. Um, and it's it's again, it's this is hard to explain, especially on the cuff off the cuff like this. But I I think it's really important because it influences a lot of the NSR games that I I play, like Into the Odd, and and of course Karen is. I often don't even bring dice into play. I will run, you know, I ran um, Where the Week Grows Tall recently in Karen, and we didn't roll a single combat dice, and we only used three saves for the entire game. I am notorious. I am notorious for running entire game sessions without a die being rolled. I have done it so much over the years. All right, and so that that's fantastic. And I think, I think NSR games implicitly ex- suggest you should do that. When a situation in a game presents the players with something interesting to interact with, let them do it. You know, don't put the mechanics in the way or make it the mechanics necessary. Well, here's the thing too. I, over the last five or so years, I've actually been intentionally trying to make sure there's a combat encounter using dice in every adventure because I had been running so many games and nobody ever touched a die. And I got the feeling that some of the players wanted to roll those dice and do those fights. So I was like, okay, I have to throw something in here to appease that. But for a long time, like going the full adventure without dice was just most adventures for me until we got to an adventure where like, Oh no, this is the big horrible. You got to finally fight it. Then we start rolling. (laughs) No. And and the thing is, and I think sometimes people want that because dice add a certain objectivity, right? I, I think it's bullshit because I think ultimately any game, almost any game, no matter what the system, the GM, is ultimately deciding what happens, even if they pretend it doesn't. Anyone who tells you, I just let the dice fall where they may. Yeah, but you also decided how many goblins there were in the room. You decided what happens when um, uh, a person fails an attempt to do something crazy. You decided what happens when they do succeed. Ultimately, we are all railroaders. And what we need to do is accept that and then, you know, create procedures that allow for player agency so that the players feel like they really are engaging with something real because then it has a greater impact. And, and, and again, let's not pretend this isn't about emotions or feelings. Like I get a really good feeling when I'm playing a game and my actions have consequences that matter. And I feel like I made an impact. I get a great feeling from that. And it's no more or less important than games that make me feel sad or, or, or or whatever. Like, I feel like we try to pretend that we are this like old school movement of people who play the way things were supposed to be. And it's like, it's all (laughs) bullshit. It's just, it's playing pretend with friends. I, I don't I don't play the same way I played years ago. I play different now. And all the stuff I've picked up from OSR books is different from what I used to play. Sure. And sure. like so my, my playing my games have constantly evolved. And the kind of game I like now isn't the kind of game I like 20, 30. Right. Right. Like oh, ditto. 80, I mean, yeah. What I wanted to play yeah, is I would sure. not enjoy now. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know. And it's true. It's you figure out kind of what you like. And sometimes it just changes. Sometimes people go through. And I, you know what? And actually, t- to to bring this all around to what is the NSR? Why are we even talking about it? I do think what unites it, what unites the community, I guess, is the sense that there are no sacred cows, right? So, Into the Odd was fairly revolutionary in that it took a lot of the assumptions of quote unquote old school D and D style play, and then just got rid of like ninety nine percent of the mechanics. It got rid of two hit rolls. My goodness, <laughs> it got rid of half of the stats. You know, it 
it, it, it broke things down to such a minimalist set of rules and expectations. And yet still, in my opinion, does a better job of executing this kind of OSR style play without using this, this oh, the all important six stats or the, you know, having a defense class. Like it, it's, I really think that you can achieve any play style you want with any rules. It's really more about how those rules engage with the setting and the kind of play experience you want and, and what you're getting out of it. And I think that's what the NSR is about. It's about, yes, a certain pattern of games that tend to be rules light tend to be weird. And when I say weird, I mean like um, unsettling or, or non-standard, you know, you're, there are, I mean, dude, Karen is not weird. Karen is about playing very traditional D and D style fantasy. Now, do I run my own games pretty weird? Yeah, I do. They get pretty <laughs> out there and unsettling, but that's because that's what I'm into. But you could totally run a standard D&D style game with it. So I don't necessarily think a weird setting is as implied as maybe um, uh, Pandatheist originally uh, posted on her blog. But yeah, lo- long story short, I think what the NSR games, what really unites them is elements from both the OSR and kind of the story games movement and even traditional games, one might argue, we have some serious 5e players on the NSR discords. It's quite controversial. Well, here's the, here's my thing. We're, we're going to, we're planning. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I hope it's fun because I, yeah. I want to talk about this for a minute. Okay. We're going to do an episode that's 5e versus BX versus AD&D second edition. <laughs> and we're going to have, hopefully have fun with it. Huh? I like, I know there's a lot of, People get really heated about it, but mm-hmm. I think at some point in time, there's a way that it can be approached like like sports teams and just kind of friendly ribbing. Am I wrong or am yeah, I like, no, overreaching it? No, I actually think we. No, the NSR Discord has people on it that are very opposed to five E, and then people who are like, no, I like it. I, I'm the I am I I will defend it to the ends of the earth. And and honestly, I played five E for years, and I personally will i don't think i'll ever play in a 5e game again but i i don't i mean if if it achieved the kind of game experiences that i wanted to play in sometimes i would totally do it i got nothing wrong with it i never want to sit and wait for my turn in combat ever again the way that 5e yeah and that's like when we run combat we run it very similarly with most games we do group initiative and a lot, most of the games right. I'm playing, it's round the table or right. some other way. Right. It's like, okay, go, go. I'm so, not- so what you're saying is you change <laughs> the rules to 5e because combat is such a disaster. Well, I've never <laughs> run fifth edition. Um, uh, uh, in fact, I've only uh, played in three games when it first came uh, out. Um, <laughs> I re- okay, when I when I used to play 5e, I had a cork board with like player one, player two, monster one, whatever, that I yeah. had to like control people's, and, or, you know, this was pre like, a lot of popular apps for it, but I had to like, I had to try And it. I would do a thing where I tell everyone to roll initiative at the beginning of the game and just write it down. It was so awful. And then it, when I would bring in new players, like I brought my wife in the play and she would sit there and be like, it's like 20 minutes until I get to do anything. Yeah. That's the thing about a lot of games that have individual initiative and you have multiple things you can do in your turn oh, also do you know you've got a i've okay well i've got to roll my attack and then add my proficiency bonus and then there's also the armor class of the person i'm targeting and then i have to figure out what that looks like and look it's cool if you love math you're gonna love that but it's also just a time sink i mean i have never in one of my osr or nsr games had someone look at their phone okay that's never happened but in fifth edition which i ran for years they were 
it's just i can't oh like my i i consider that kind of the modern game style like 3.5 does a similar combat oh yeah honestly palladium's natural combat system yeah is bad like that too yes like the way that i've broken that down the way we do it not so much i have a friend who's been playing DD since the late 70s early 80s and he said for years he just avoided combat as a gm that's what he would do he would just avoid combat in any game you ran it and i just thought that was terribly sad that you couldn't use the game's built-in yeah. mechanics because they were so obnoxious and look that's fine you can replace them with whatever you want but maybe also play a game that facilitates it like how in into the odd removing to hit rolls makes combat that much more lethal which makes it much more interesting because then you have to problem solve more and so it lends itself to the game style you want to play so i think that stuff is important the one thing that I saw the biggest change in speed and combat with, I mean, aside from changing systems to faster combat, because a lot of the OSR systems, I feel like Castles and Crusades and Swords of Wizardry have a faster combat style. But the one thing was group initiative. It oh, really yeah, made yeah. a difference. Oh, and yeah. Tracking oh, yeah. different times each time. It's like, it doesn't matter who goes before the next person. Right. I think I think it was popcorn initiative is what I, the way I first heard it described, which is like, oh, no, no, side initiative. That's what it's called. Side, which you're calling group it's si- side initiative. It's like, OK, we'll yes. see which side goes first. And then like, you know, in Into the Odd Games, ostensibly you you all you all the players make dex checks and or dex saves and whoever succeeds gets to go before the monsters whoever fails goes after the monsters. yes uh, and then from then on from that point forward it's their side our side their side our side in whatever order we want but the results are simultaneous regardless that kind of play makes combat fast and fun and scary which again makes you avoid and it again that kind of breaks a lot of the newer editions because everybody gets like bonus initiative right. stuff and things that they level. I'm like, I want to use this. The thing is, <laughs> fine. You know what? You want to improve combat in my games? I would just say, okay, so you push the boulder off the hill. It just kills them. Good job. No, we're not even using dice. You know, <laughs> yeah. I feel like you can't achieve that stuff. It does require some learning, but it, in my mind, the best thing is when players come up with non-mechanical solutions to problems and then you give them non-mechanical results that give them preferential or they give them an advantage as a result of the fiction, not some D20 that you've rolled twice and taken the higher or lower result. You know, if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give it a positive review wherever you're listening. Hey, that was my job. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) No, no. Subscribe to the Patreon. I was going to say, get on the Patreon, (laughs) get on the Patreon people. Um, hey, you can listen to extended interviews on the Patreon as well. Isn't I think right? this is just going to be our first almost hour long episode. I'm not going to truncate this one. I'm just going to put it out entirely. The first the- one we did was like 50 minutes too. I think it was close. I think so. Yeah. And then, yeah. Then that, but that was true. I only put like 30 minutes on normal. The rest right. of the Patreon right. I was like, hey, right. you know, I'm just going to put this all out. Why not have an hour long? Fantastic. Hour long I'm all for it. For, it. for it. Yeah. <laughs> Short um, is our thing, but we're not today. <laughs> no, no, that's true. That's true. Um, I don't know how you do it. Well, um, yeah. Uh, well, thank, uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, well, thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is a great conversation. Um, uh, yeah. Ha- talk to you later.